Good morning, church. It's so good to be gathered with you together. I was just watching along with the live stream on my phone, and it was really encouraging to see so many familiar names popping up in the live chat. And I hope that you experience that too. And if you're new to our church, if maybe you're just tuning in for the first time or you've started to join us during this strange season of the pandemic, I want you to know that you're most welcome too. And if you don't know me, my name's Nick. I'm the assistant minister here at Knox Church. And we're so glad to have you as a part of our community as we worship God together and as we hear God's voice together as well. As we prepare to do that, would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for the book of the Psalms, for this book of poetry that's been this this book of the songs of your people for generations. We're grateful for how this book has songs of joy that we can join in and songs of sorrow, how the poetry in this book feels like real life, how it resonates with our hearts still today. And so as we prepare to hear um, your word from Psalm 126, we pray that you would speak in fresh ways through it to us today. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Church, we've seen trouble before, haven't we? Together, we can tell stories of economic collapses, of terror attacks that shape the world around them, of unending wars, of epidemic after epidemic. Some of us have stories of civil war, of famine, have stories of needing to flee our homes just to be safe. Many of us hold stories of grave personal traumas that continue continue to leave their mark in our lives in the most profound ways. We've known trouble before. And now we know trouble again. A global pandemic the likes of which the world has not seen in a hundred years. A kind of flagrant police brutality witnessed day after day that disproportionately affects and systematically marginalizes people of color And we have a city that our church calls home here in Toronto that increased the police budget in the same year that the mayor announced that the deficit would be so great that specifically homeless services, childcare, and transit might need to be cut. Effectively, it seems that the mayor is saying that the most vulnerable in our city will be the first to pay for any lack of funds in the city coffers. We certainly know trouble again. So as we continue in our summer series on joy, we take solace in the words of this psalmist who begins the scripture reading which was read for us this morning by naming that reality of trouble. Trouble all around us, trouble in our past and trouble in our future too. But beyond all of that, highlighting again and again that in the ways of God's kingdom, trouble always gives way to joy. The psalmist reminds us, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. What is only implied in this first verse is the reality that they were in a tough spot in the past. Zion was suffering and God had blessed them. It's almost as if the psalmist begins this psalm by saying, remember the last time we were in trouble and our wildest dreams came true when God helped us. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. The psalmist addressed the present suffering of Zion's people by naming that they had known trouble before, that this was not a new thing, and that 
should be a reason for joy. It's a reason for joy because the Lord has done great things for us. The past reality, the experience of what God has already done, even when it's years in the past and kilometers away, is itself a reason for joy. We are filled with joy, the author says. In their present trouble, in their suffering and trial, Zion is nevertheless filled with joy because they have in their possession a story where they can remember the goodness of God in their past. I know that you can remember trouble. I know some of you like to remember trouble the most. But can you remember the joy that came after? Can you remember how God met you in that place of distress and trial and ministered to you and provided for you? How God gave you reasons for laughter and reasons to sing songs of joy. I hope that a story like that springs to mind for you because the Lord has done great things for you and you are filled with joy. This is a theme throughout the story of scripture that when hard times come, when trouble surrounds us and enemies close in, we can still sing praise and hold on to joy because of what God has already done in the past. Not only what God has done in the past for us personally in our lifetime, but also what God has done in the past for the whole story of God's people. God made a promise to Abraham that we know he kept, and we are filled with joy. God led the people of Israel and many other peoples and nations out of slavery and captivity, and we are filled with joy. Through apostles, prophets, judges, and kings, God has spoken to and led his people, and we are filled with joy. In Jesus Christ, God came to us and lived among us, died for us, and rose to life for us, and we are filled with joy. This is the tremendous testimony of the people of God and the truth that the psalmist is rooting us in as we consider this connection between suffering and joy. That there has been suffering in the past and the suffering ended, but the joy, that's worth holding on to. Despite having these deep reasons for joy that are rooted in the past, it's important to also see that the psalmist doesn't try to suggest that we should just be content with only this joy from the past. Rather, the call comes out in verse 4, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev is a desert in the south of Israel, and every year it rains. And every year that rain fills the same stream beds that it has for hundreds and thousands of years. And the desert itself blooms and blossoms with life of all sorts. It's important for us to know where those dry stream beds are so that when the rain breaks, we can find those streams again. But it's also important that God actually send the rain. The psalmist asks God to continue those same actions that God has always done, invites God to remember the way that goodness and reason for joy has always broken out of trouble, and requests that God would give us another reason to be filled afresh with joy today. Then there's this beautiful promise. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. And This verse and this promise is really where we're going to linger together this morning because songs of joy sound great. 
I hope that you were able to join in those songs of joy this morning. But what does it mean to sow with tears? And why should we have to sow with tears? The first thing I want us to notice about this is that it points us toward costly work. We sow with tears because there is a cost to working the ways of God's kingdom in our lives today, in our present suffering, and also even when or if the world around us thinks that everything's going great, it's still costly for us to choose to do the work that sows the seeds of God's coming kingdom. This connection between sowing with tears and choosing costly work, it might not be the clearest connection for you. So let me tell you a couple of stories. The first comes from Philip Jenkins' exploration of the coming of global Christianity, how Christianity in South America and Africa and Asia is really the new Christendom, is really the place where the church is booming and blossoming and is going to shape Christianity for the foreseeable future, which is great and tremendous news. And in his work, he shares a West African interpretation of this psalm. West Africa had recently experienced a drought, and the community that Jenkins spoke with talked about how very clearly logical this verse was, that those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. And what they point out is that when you've had famine, when you've had hard times, and you go to sow, the seed that you're going to sow in your field is actually the food that your children could otherwise be eating. That the corn your family could eat is the seed that you're hoping will produce a crop for the coming year. So you take food from your children and you weep because they are hungry. And you sow in hope that you will reap with songs of joy. For those of us who've never known an agrarian way of life, I expect that this helps us understand this psalm more acutely And it highlights again for us the value of hearing global voices engage with the scripture so we can understand perspectives that that otherwise we might never know or hear. And the second story I want to tell you is from my life because maybe the words of the psalm and how it connects to our world today still remains unclear. After my parents separated, for a time my mom was working three jobs to take care of me and my two siblings a work that I still can't imagine the challenge of, but I know was especially hard and maybe feels familiar to some of you. And there were days when my mom would have less than $5 left until her next paycheck from one of her jobs. And she would have to choose between buying milk for us, which back then was like $3.25, or paying $2 to take the bus to work. And this calculation, I'm sure, often brought my mom to tears. If she was being paid the next day, then maybe she'd just use the money to get to work so a future paycheck wouldn't suffer, knowing that she could just buy milk tomorrow. But if pay was still a little ways off, perhaps she thought she bought the milk and would choose to walk the hour it would take her to get to work in each direction for a day or two. Or maybe she hoped that my grandpa would be able to give her a ride Or maybe we searched the house for quarters. I remember many occasions of scrounging the house for that loose change. When we were young, there's no doubt in my mind that my mom sewed in tears. 
sacrificing and choosing the costly and difficult path of raising three children herself, providing for us to the fullest extent that she could at great mental, emotional, and physical cost, in the hopes that one day she would see us grown and successful, that there would be a fruit of joy for all of her labor. Sowing with tears is certainly about choosing the costly work. However, it's also about the way in which we do that work, the posture that we hold. When we have experienced the kind of life-altering event that shakes a whole community, when we have suffered the kind of thing that shapes our perspective on the world for years to come and perhaps the repercussions of which we never fully shake, in those times we might pause from our work. But the season to sow will come again. The season to resume that difficult work of seeking justice in the world, of preparing the way for God's kingdom, it will return to our lives. And it will return when we still have much to grieve and much to lament and much that stirs us toward righteous anger. And we may be tempted in those transitional seasons especially to return to our work sowing seeds with anger seeking justice with a vengeance. But it is sorrow that best prepares our hearts for the work of sowing. And it is tears that best prepare the fields of the world for the seeds of God's kingdom. The late John Lewis, a Baptist pastor, African-American civil rights leader and American congressman, in his memoir, Walking with the Wind, writes about his firm belief in the practice of nonviolence, a belief which is shaped by the gospel. And he writes, suffering, though, can be nothing more than a sad and sorry thing without the presence on the part of the sufferer of a grateful heart, an accepting and open heart, a heart that holds no malice toward the inflictors of his or her suffering. We are talking about love here. Pain, ugliness, and fear can cover it over, turning a person toward anger and hate. John Lewis, if you know his story, he lived his life sowing with tears. Though he had every right to be angry, he chose to sow seeds of love through his tears. As he was forcibly carried out of a restaurant in Nashville, Tennessee, that didn't want to serve him because of the color of his skin as he suffered a fractured skull as police beat peaceful civil rights protesters marching toward Montgomery, Alabama on Bloody Sunday. John Lewis sowed with tears because of the call of the gospel and because he knew that those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. The leaders of the civil rights movement could have sowed with malice, could have sowed seeking vengeance, could have sowed with anger. But in all likelihood, it would have hurt the cause of their movement and would have left some of that ugliness in their hearts that Lewis writes of the dangers of in his memoir. It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And those who go out weeping with seeds to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Tears, it seems, best produce the fruit of joy. What we should be seeing here, what I hope that you've been hearing over the last number of minutes, 
is that sorrow and hope must go hand in hand and that together they are the parents of true joy. Sorrow on its own will make us angry and bitter or it will cause us to stop working altogether and remove ourselves from the world. And hope alone may also paralyze us. We may just hope for something better tomorrow, eternally optimistic, with no encouragement to put muscle behind those hopes at all. But sorrow and hope mingled together? This pushes us on to the costly work of sowing seeds of change, seeds of new life, seeds of a difference and a better future, the very seeds of God's kingdom. And hope gives us the energy that we need to do that work, believing that one day there will be a harvest of righteousness, that one day there will be a feast of joy, that one day all the tears that we have shed in the pursuit of greater things will be rewarded as we sing a new song of joy and God brings to fulfillment the very work that he longs to do in this world. Sisters and brothers, the truth of the Christian life is that the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. May the truth of the joy which is yours be the hope which moves you in all sorrow and affliction that you might sow with tears, confident in the knowledge that one day we will reap with songs of joy. Through our lives and by our prayers, may God's kingdom come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.